Okay, so we continue now back into 2 Corinthians. We're at the end of chapter 5 today, so next week we will begin chapter 6. We have one verse to focus on today, verse 21 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. We often hear expressions like, believe in Jesus and you will be saved, or come to Jesus and you will be forgiven. And these statements are certainly true. They state the reality of salvation and they state the source of salvation. But they don't explain salvation. They don't tell us how Jesus saves sinners. In verse 21, Paul gives us an explanation of how it is that Christ reconciles sinners to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me repeat it. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're going to cover three points this morning. Firstly, we're going to talk about how Jesus knew no sin. And then second of all, we're going to talk about how he made, he was made sin for our sake. He was made sin for our sake. And thirdly, he was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So firstly, Jesus knew no sin. Jesus lived a fully human life. He knew pain. He knew rejection. He knew tiredness. He even knew temptation. There's a God who is overall, who has given us his moral standard by which we are to live, we call that God's law. Jesus perfectly obeyed this law in every detail. In fact, God's law is actually a description of Jesus, as we've seen before. Every command of God is a command to be like Jesus because he perfectly fulfilled it. He was the perfect person, the only one who ever lived. This is part of what uniquely qualified him to be our substitute. The spotless Lamb of God sacrificed for us. If he hadn't been sinless, his death would have been God's punishment for his sin. It is only because he was sinless that his death can count for us. In other words, his death was not enough. His sinless life was also necessary for our salvation. So Jesus knew no sin. Secondly, Jesus was made sin for our sake. 
Jesus was made sin for our sake. The one who knew no sin was made sin for our sakes. He was counted as our sin and then punished for our sin. He never actually sinned, not even once. But he owned our sin. He took on our sin. He was punished as though he had committed all the sins of his people. When God directed his vengeance against his only begotten son on the cross, it is because he viewed Christ as our sin. How could the good and loving and just God forsake his own sinless son? It was only because at that moment of supreme justice and mercy, God looked at Jesus and what did he see? He saw the sum total of all of our sin. The one who never sinned was counted as sin that we might that he might bear the punishment that he might absorb the burden of guilt that he might bear God's rightful justice in the place of his sinful people He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. These great passages from Isaiah 53 say the same thing as what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5 about our Lord Jesus. By absorbing our just death sentence, he accomplished our salvation. He saved sinners like you and me and then made them the children of God. And that, amazingly, is his great joy. His great joy to save sinners. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, Out of the anguish of his soul, he saw, or he shall see, And be satisfied. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see the fruit of what his redemption accomplished, and he shall be satisfied. The third point, then, is that this happened so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Just as the one who was counted as sin never actually committed sin, so the one counted righteous was actually sinful and not righteous. Just as sin was foreign to Jesus, just as the sin which condemned Jesus was sin which was not from Jesus, but from outside of Jesus, so the righteousness which justifies sinners is a foreign righteousness. A righteousness which is not from within us, but from outside of us, from Christ. So who is the man who is declared righteous by God? He is the sinner who puts his trust in Christ and is thereby counted as righteous. He is not himself righteous. As Romans 4, 5 says, to the one who does not work, but who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Because of what Christ did, we become the righteousness of God. We do not earn eternal life by our obedience. Christ has earned it for us by His obedience. We have no righteousness of our own. We wear the white robes of Christ's righteousness, His perfect righteousness. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the symmetry in this exchange. He becomes our sin, we become his righteousness. He is counted as sinful, we are counted as righteous. He is punished for our sin, We are rewarded for his righteousness. You see, Christ has done two great things for his people. He took for us the law's penalty, and he obeyed for us the law's demands. He absorbed the punishment we deserved, and he earned the reward which we received. He saves us from hell and he earned for us entrance into heaven. But we can't separate these two things that Christ did for us. It's not like during his life Christ was earning the reward. And then in his death on the cross he was bearing our punishment. His whole life was a humiliation and suffering that was connected to being our substitute. And let me ask you this. What is the pinnacle? (coughs) What is the epitome of Christ's righteous obedience? Where do we see it in his life more clearly than any other place? Was it not in taking upon himself our sin? Indeed, the most meritorious thing he ever did. 
the most worthy act of righteous obedience he did as a man was his willingness to die on behalf of sinners. That is why the sinless Jesus being made to be sin is what causes us to become the righteousness of God, as our verse says. You see, the law is all about love. So to obey the law is to love. And greater love has no one than this, that he lay, a man lay down his life for his friends. And when Jesus laid down his life for his friends, he was fulfilling the law in a higher way than at any other point. So becoming sin was the chief or the highest manifestation of his obedience and his righteousness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this leads us to a remarkable conclusion. Jesus became sin for us, bearing the just weight of our condemnation. And then the righteous reward Jesus earned for becoming sin, he bestows on us. Let me say that again. Jesus became sin, bearing the just weight of our condemnation. And then the righteous reward that Jesus earned for becoming sin for us. He turns and he bestows upon us, his chosen people. This is mind-boggling. We get the benefit of his sacrifice, which is amazing itself. And, you know, we think and talk about that all the time. But we also get the reward for his sacrifice. We are co-heirs with Christ. So what he inherited, what he received, what he earned, what he was rewarded with, he welcomes us as partakers of that rich reward. This is what it means because he bec we, we became the righteousness of God in him. Now there are two significant prepositional phrases in this verse that I want to point out before we end. For, the first one is at the beginning. For our sake. For our sake he made him to be sin who know no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who is this for? It is for our sake that he made him to be sin. He did this all for our sake. And the second prepositional phrase is it near the end. In him. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God in Jesus. There is no salvation in ourselves. There is no hope in ourselves. There is no righteousness in ourselves. 
Our righteousness is not our own, but Christ's. We are counted worthy before God only as a result of Christ's righteousness counted for us. <coughs> Excuse me. There is only one way to come to God. There is only one way to know God. There is only one way to be accepted and forgiven by God. It is in Him. It is in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the point on which the church stands or falls. And each one of us stands or falls. To believe anything else is to believe that salvation is at least partially from man. And leaves room for man to boast. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God treated the one who was sinless as if he were sinful in order that he could treat the ones who are unrighteous as though they were righteous. God counted the sinless one as sinful in order that he might count the unrighteous as righteous. This is the amazing exchange that God has provided for us and offers to sinners. He has taken our sin and in return he's given us his righteousness. He has taken our filthy rags and in exchange he gives us his robe pure and white. He has taken our poverty in exchange for our for his riches. He has taken our misery and he gives us his joy. By his wounds we are healed. It seems too good to be true. I wouldn't believe it myself if it weren't in the word of God. So what are we going to do with this gospel? What are you going to do with this gospel? If you have any sense, you will flee to Christ. You will gladly yield your life to Him. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my soul, my all. There is no better offer. And yet, some will look for one, nonetheless. Some would prefer a gospel of human goodness, where we get recognized and honored for our human accomplishments, instead of merely saved by God's grace. Some would prefer a gospel which fits in better with modern ways of thinking. But of course, modern ways of thinking will inevitably, eventually, 
be ancient ways of thinking. And there'll be new modern ways of thinking. The gospel of Christ is timeless. There are many out there who preach a gospel which is really a false gospel, leading people astray. But the true gospel is about three things. It's about Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. Salvation is purely and totally from the Lord. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. We must not let any human teacher or church or angel from heaven teach us otherwise. As Paul says in Galatians 1, even if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven should teach, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And though the true gospel has many wonderful things to say about those who put their hope in Christ. And we even sing about this. Glorious things are of thee are spoken. The true gospel also forces us to come to grips with our guilt and our unworthiness and our corruption and our rebellion and our pride. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. You can't come to Christ unless you come through the eye of a needle. You remember what Jesus said about rich people that it's more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This is Matthew 19. And what he is talking about there, the camel, it seems to me, the camel is a large animal that represents human pride. And the rich have it more than anyone. That's why he's talking to the rich. And that to, for them to become humble enough to come to Christ to receive his grace would be like a camel going through the eye of a needle. But the point is that 
in order for us to come to Christ, we have to pour contempt on our pride. We have to humble ourselves. We have to see what we're really like. We have to lower ourselves. And God gives grace to the humble. But he opposes the proud. Another verse of another hymn says this. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load, tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Brothers and sisters, it has been our privilege this morning in this verse to reflect upon the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done for us. But to leave it there as interesting information or something to perhaps resolve our curiosity would be a grave violation of the very message of Christ. For the message itself calls sinners to humble themselves and come to Christ in faith, to throw aside the, the world's chains that, that hold us back and that lure us away and that make us want to prove ourselves and to come to him who alone is the source of salvation. We'll be talking more about this in the next few weeks. Lord Jesus Christ, We have received riches beyond our ability to comprehend from you because of your grace. We stand amazed. And we want more and more, O oh Lord, to be amazed, more and more to stand in awe of you. Lord, there's so many things that this world says are awesome. But there's nothing in this world that's awesome like you are awesome. Nothing that even compares. Help us now to come to you. To fall at your feet. Unworthy. Recipients. Of your love. We thank you Lord for this. Table before us. Where Christ's is represented in his body and his blood. May we, O oh Lord, receive these tokens of Christ in light of his great mercy, in light of his sacrifice, in light of his worthiness.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.